Chapter 8 of Miss Marchbanks. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Crandall. Chapter 8 of Miss Marchbanks by Mrs. Oliphant. The evening passed off in a way which, if Miss Marchbanks had been an ordinary woman, would have altogether obliterated from her mind all recollection of the failure at lunch. To speak first of the most important particular, the dinner was perfect. As for the benighted men who had doubted Lucilla, they were covered with shame, and at the same time with delight. If there had been a fault in Dr. Marchbanks's table under the ancient regime, it lay in a certain want of variety and occasional overabundance, which wounded the feelings of young Mr. Cavendish, who was a person of refinement. To-night, as that accomplished critic remarked, there was a certain air of feminine grace diffused over everything, and an amount of doubt and expectation unknown to the composed feastings of old gave interest to the meal. As for the doctor, he found Mrs. Chiley at his right hand not so great a bore as he expected, she was a woman capable of appreciating the triumphs of art that were set before her, and had indeed been trained to as high a pitch of culture in this respect as perhaps is possible to the female intelligence. And then her pride and delight in being admitted to a participation in those sacred mysteries was beyond expression. My dear Lucilla, I feel exactly as if I was going to be made a Freemason, and as if your dear good papa had to blindfold me and make me swear all sorts of things before he took me downstairs, she said, as they sat together, waiting for the commencement of the ceremony. And when the two ladies returned to the drawing-room, Mrs. Chiley took Lucilla in her arms and gave her a kiss, as the only way of expressing adequately her enthusiasm. My love, said the colonel's wife, I never realized before what it was to have a genius. You should be very thankful to Providence for giving you such a gift. I have given dinners all my life, that is, all my married life, my dear, which comes to almost the same thing, for I was only a baby. But I never could come up to anything like that, said Mrs. Chiley, with tears in her eyes. As for Miss Marchbanks, she was so satisfied with her success that she felt at liberty to tranquilize her old friend. I am sure you always give very nice dinners, she said, and then, you know, the colonel has his favorite dishes, whereas I must say for papa, he is very reasonable for a man. I am so glad you are pleased. It is very kind of you to say it is genius, but I don't pretend to anything but paying great attention and studying the combinations. There is nothing one cannot manage if one only takes the trouble. Come here to this nice easy chair. It is so comfortable. It is so nice to have a little moment to ourselves before they come upstairs." "'That is what I always say,' said Mrs. Chiley. "'But there are not many girls so sensible as you, Lucilla. "'I hear them all saying it is so much better French fashion. "'Of course, I am an old woman, and like things in the old style. "'I don't think it is because I am more sensible,' said Miss Marchbanks, with modesty. "'I don't pretend to be better than other people. "'It is because I have thought it all over, you know. "'And then I went through a course of political economy.' "'When I was at Mount Pleasant,' Lucilla said tranquilly, with an air of having explained the whole matter, which much impressed her hearer. "'But for all that, something dreadful happened to-day. Tom brought in one of his friends with him, you know, and Miss Burry was here, and they talked. I want to tell you, in case she should say something, and then you will know what to believe. I never felt so dreadfully ashamed in my life. They talked. 
"'My dear, not anything improper, I hope,' cried the old lady in dismay. "'Oh, no,' said Lucilla, "'but they began laughing about some people having no souls, you know, "'as if there could be anybody without a soul, "'and poor Miss Bury nearly fainted. "'You may think what a dreadful thing it was for me.' "'My dear child, if that was all,' said Mrs. Chiley, reassured, "'as for everybody having a soul, I am sure I cannot say.' "'You never were in India, to be sure, "'but Miss Bury should have known better "'than to faint at a young man's talk "'and frighten you, my poor dear. "'She ought to be ashamed of herself at her age. "'Do you think Tom has turned out clever?' "'The old lady continued, not without a little finesse, "'and watched Lucilla with a curious eye. "'Not in the very least,' said Miss Marchbanks calmly. "'He is just as awkward as he used to be. "'It is dreadful to have him here just now "'when I have so many things to do.' and then he would follow me about everywhere if I would let him. A cousin of that sort is always in the way. I am always afraid of a cousin, for my part, said Mrs. Chiley. And talking of that, what do you think of Mr. Cavendish, Lucilla? He is very nice in himself, and he has nice property, and some people say he has a very good chance to be member for Carlingford when there is an election. I think that is just what would suit you. "'I could not see him for the lamp,' said Lucilla. "'It was right between us, you know. "'But it is no use talking of that sort of thing just now. "'Of course, if I had liked, I never need have come home at all,' "'Miss Marchbanks added with composure. "'And now I have come home. "'I have got other things to think of. "'If papa is good, I will not think of leaving him for ten years.' "'Oh, yes, I have heard girls say that before,' said Mrs. Chiley. "'But they always change their minds.' "'You would not like to be an old maid, Lucilla, and in ten years—' "'I should have begun to go off a little, no doubt,' said Miss Marchbanks. "'No, I can't say I wish to be an old maid. "'Can they be coming upstairs already, do you think?' "'Oh, it is Tom, I suppose,' said Lucilla with a little indignation. "'But when they did make their appearance, which was at a tolerably early period, "'for a return to the drawing-room was quite a novelty for Dr. Marchbanks's friends, "'and tempted them accordingly.' Miss Marchbanks was quite ready to receive them, and just before ten o'clock, when Mrs. Chiley began to think of going home, Lucilla, without being asked, and without indeed a word of preface, suddenly went to the piano, and before anybody knew had commenced to sing. She was a great deal too sensible to go into high art on this occasion, or to electrify her father's friends with her newly acquired Italian, or even with German, as some young ladies do. She sang them a ballad out of one of those treasures of resuscitated ballads, which the new generation had then begun to dig out of the bowels of the earth. There was not, to tell the truth, a great deal of music in it, which proved Lucilla's disinterestedness. I only sang it to amuse you, she said, when all the world crowded to the piano, and for that night she was not to be persuaded to further exertions. Thus Miss Marchbanks proved to her little public the power of subordinating her personal tastes and even her vanity to her great object, which more than anything else demonstrates a mind made to rule. "'I hope next time you will be more charitable, and not tantalize us in this way,' Mr. Cavendish said, as he took his leave, and Lucilla retired from the scene of her triumph, conscious of having achieved entire success in her first appearance in Carlingford. She laid her head upon her pillow with that sweet sense of an approving conscience which accompanies the footsteps of the benefactors of their kind." but even Miss Marchbanks's satisfaction was not without its drawbacks. She could not get out of her mind that unhappy abortive luncheon in all its horrors, not to speak of the possibility of her religious principles being impugned, which was dreadful in itself, 
for people can stand a man being sceptical, you know, Miss Marchbanks justly observed, but everybody knows how unbecoming it is to a woman, and me who have such a respect for religion. There remained the still more alarming chance that Miss Bury, who was so narrow-minded, might see something improper in the presence of the two young men at Lucilla's maidenly table. For, to be sure, the rector's sister was altogether incapable of grasping the idea that young men, like old men, and the other less interesting members of the human family, were simple material for Miss Marchbanks's genius, out of which she had a great result to produce. This was the dread that overshadowed the mind of Lucilla as she composed herself to rest after her fatigues. When she slept the sleep of the innocent, it still pursued her into her dreams. She dreamed that she stood at the altar by the side of the member for Carlingford, and that Mr. Bury, with inflexible cruelty, insisted upon marrying her to Tom Marchbanks instead. And then the scene changed, and instead of receiving the salutations of Mr. Cavendish as MP for the borough, it was the amusing man, in the character of the defeated candidate, who grinned and nodded at her, and said from the hustings that he never would forget the luncheon that had been his first introduction to Carlingford. Such was the nightmare that pursued Lucilla even into the sphere of dreams. When such a presentiment takes possession of a well-balanced mind, like that of Miss Marchbanks, it may be accepted as certain that something is likely to follow. Lucilla did her best to disarm fate, not only by the sweetest submission and dutifulness to the doctor and his wishes, but by a severe disregard of Tom, which drove that unhappy young man nearly desperate. Far from saying anything about luncheon, she even ignored his presence at breakfast, and remained calmly unconscious of his empty cup, until he had to ask for some coffee, in an injured and pathetic voice, which amused Dr. Marchbanks beyond description. But even this did not prove sufficient to propitiate the fates, when they were gone, and it may be well to say that Lucilla used this pronoun to signify the gentleman, in greater or smaller number, as it might happen, and she had finished all her arrangements, Miss Marchbanks decided upon going to Grove Street to pay Barbara Lake a visit, and practice some duets, which was certainly as innocent an occupation for her leisure, as could have been desired. She was putting on her hat with this object, when the bell in the garden rang solemnly, and Lucilla, whose curiosity even conquered her good manners for the moment, hastening to the window, saw Mr. Bury himself enter the garden, accompanied by a tall black figure in deep and shabby mourning. All the tremors of the night rushed back upon her mind at the sight. She felt that the moment had arrived for a trial of her courage very different from the exertions which had hitherto sufficed her. Nothing but the most solemn intentions could have supported the rector in that severe pose of his figure, and features, every line in which revealed an intention of being faithful, and the accompanying mute in black, whose office the culprit could not divine, had a veil over her face, and wore a widow's dress. Miss Marchbanks, it is true, was not a woman to be discouraged by appearances, but she felt her heart beat as she collected all her powers to meet this mysterious assault. She took off her hat with an instinctive certainty that, for this morning at least, the duet was impracticable, when she heard Mr. Bury's steady step ascending the stairs, but, notwithstanding, it was with a perfectly cheerful politeness that she bade him welcome when he came into the room. "'It is so good of you to come,' Lucilla said. "'You that have so much to do. I scarcely could believe it when I saw you come in. I thought it must be for papa.' "'I did hope to find Dr. Marchbanks,' said the rector, "'but, as he is not at home, I thought it best to come to you.' 
This is Mrs. Mortimer, said Mr. Burry, taking the chair Lucilla had indicated with a certain want of observance of his companion, which betrayed to the keen perceptions of Miss Marchbanks that she was a dependent of some kind or other. The rector was a very good man, but he was evangelical, and had a large female circle who admired and swore by him, and consequently he felt it in a manner natural that he should take his seat first, and the place that belonged to him as the principal person present. And then, to be sure, his mission was for Mrs. Mortimer's as well as Miss Marchbanks's good. After this introduction, the figure in black put up its veil and revealed a deprecating woman, with a faint sort of pleading smile on her face. Probably she was making believe to smile at the position in which she found herself. But anyhow, she took her seat humbly on another chair at a little distance, and waited, as Lucilla did, for the next golden words that it might please the rector to say. "'My sister told me what happened yesterday,' said Mr. Burry. "'She is very sorry for you, Miss Marchbanks. "'It is sad for you to be left alone so young, and without a mother.' and exposed to to temptations which it is difficult to withstand at your age. Indeed, at all ages, we have great occasion to pray not to be led into temptation, for the heart of a man is terribly deceitful. After hearing what she had to say, I thought it best to come up at once this morning and talk to Dr. Marchbanks. I am sure his natural good sense will teach him that you ought not to be left alone in the house." "'I do not see how papa can help it,' said Lucilla. "'I am sure it is very sad for him as well. "'But since dear mamma died, there has been nobody but me to be a comfort to him. "'I think he begins to look a little cheerful now,' Miss Marchbanks continued, "'with beautiful simplicity, looking her adversary in the face. "'Everybody knows that to be a comfort to him is the object of my life.' "'That is a very good feeling,' said the rector, but it does not do to depend too much upon our feelings. You are too young to be placed in a position of so much responsibility, and open to so much temptation. I was deeply grieved for Dr. Marchbanks when his partner in life was taken from him. But, my dear Miss Lucilla, now you have come home, who stand so much in need of a mother's care, we must try to find someone to fill her place. Lucilla uttered a scream of genuine alarm and dismay and then she came to herself and saw the force of her position. She had it in her power to turn the tables on the rector, and she did not hesitate, as a weaker woman might have done, out of consideration for anybody's feelings. "'Do you mean you have found someone for him to marry?' she asked, with a look of artless surprise, bending her earnest gaze on Mr. Burry's face. As for the rector, he looked at Lucilla aghast, like a man caught in a trap." "'Of course not, of course not,' he stammered after his first pause of consternation. And then he had to stop again to take breath. Lucilla kept up an air of amazement and consternation which had come naturally at first, and had her eyes fixed on him, leaning forward with all the eager anxiety natural to the circumstances, and the unfortunate clergyman reddened from the edge of his white cravat to the roots of his grey hair.' He was almost as sensitive to the idea of having proposed something improper as his sister could have been, though indeed, at the worst, there would have been nothing improper in it had Dr. Marchbanks made up his mind to another wife. "'It is very dreadful for me that I'm so young to go against you,' said Lucilla, "'but if it is that, I cannot be expected to take any part in it. It would not be natural. It is the great object of my life to be a comfort to papa.' "'But if that is what you mean, I could not give in to it. 
I am sure Miss Bury would understand me, said Miss Marchbanks, and she looked so nearly on the point of tears that the rector's anxious disclaimer found words for itself. Nothing of the kind, my dear Miss Lucilla, nothing of the kind, cried Mr. Bury. Such an idea never came into my mind. I cannot imagine how I could have said anything. I can't fancy what put such an idea. Mrs. Mortimer, you are not going away. Lucilla had already seen with the corner of her eye that the victim had started violently, and that her heavy veil had fallen over her face. But she had not taken any notice, for there are cases in which it is absolutely necessary to have a victim. By this time, however, the poor woman had risen in her nervous, undecided way. "'I had better go. I am sure I had better go,' she said hurriedly, clasping together a pair of helpless hands, as if they could find a little strength in union. "'Miss Marchbanks will understand you better, and you will perhaps understand Miss Marchbanks.' "'Oh, sit down, sit down,' said Mr. Burry, who was not tolerant of feelings. "'Perhaps I expressed myself badly. What I meant to say was that Mrs. Mortimer, who has been a little unfortunate in circumstances—sit down, pray!' had by singular providence just applied to me when my sister returned home yesterday these things do not happen by chance lucilla we are taken care of when we are not thinking of it mrs mortimer is a christian lady for whom i have the greatest respect a situation to take the superintendence of the domestic affairs and to have charge of you would be just what would suit her it must be a great anxiety to the doctor to leave you alone and without any control at your age you may think the liberty is pleasant at first, but if you had a Christian friend to watch over and take care of you, what is the matter? said the rector in great alarm. It was only that the poor widow, who was to have charge of Lucilla according to his benevolent intention, looked so like fainting that Miss Marchbanks jumped up from her chair and rang the bell hastily. It was not Lucilla's way to lose time about anything. She took the poor woman by the shoulders and all but lifted her to the sofa, where she was lying down with her bonnet off when the rector came to his senses. To describe the feelings with which Mr. Murray contemplated this little entr'acte, which was not in his programme, would be beyond our powers. He went off humbly and opened the window when he was told, and tried to find the eau de cologne on the table, while Thomas rushed downstairs for water at a pace very unlike his usual steady rate of progress. As for Lucilla, she stood by the side of her patient, quite self-possessed, while the rector looked so foolish. "'She will be all right directly,' Miss Marchbanks was saying. "'Luckily she never went right off. "'When you don't go right off, lying down is everything. "'If there had been any one to run and get some water, she would have got over it, "'but luckily I saw it in time.' "'What possible answer Mr. Burry could make to this, "'of how he could go on with his address in sight of the strange turn things had taken,' it would have been hard to say. Fortunately, for the moment, he did not attempt it, but walked around in dismay, and put himself in the draught with his rheumatism, and felt dreadfully vexed and angry with Mrs. Mortimer, who, for her part, now she had done with fainting, manifested an inclination to cry, for which Mr. Bury, in his heart, could have whipped her, had the mode of discipline been permitted in the Church of England. Lucilla was merciful, but she could not help taking a little advantage of her victory, she gave the sufferer a glass of water and the eau de cologne to keep her from a relapse and whispered to her to lie quiet and then she came back and took her seat and begged the rector not to stand in the draught i don't think she is strong said miss marchbanks confidentially when she had wiled the disconcerted clergyman back to her side 
Her color changes so. She never would be able, for what there is to do here, even if papa would consent to think of it. For my part, I am sure I should be glad of a little assistance, said Lucilla, but I never like to give false hopes, and I don't think papa would consent. She looks nice if she was not so weak, poor thing, and there are such quantities of things to be done here. But if you wish it, Mr. Burry, I will speak to papa, said Miss Marchbanks, lifting her eyes, which were so open and straightforward to the rector's face. To tell the truth, he did not in the least know what to say, and the chances are he would not have been half so vexed and angry, nor felt in so unchristian a disposition with the poor woman on the sofa, had he meant to do her harm instead of good. "'Yes, I should be glad if you would mention it to Dr. Marchbanks,' he said, without very well knowing what he said, and got up to shake hands with Lucilla, and then recollected that he could not leave his protégé behind him, and hesitated, and did not know what to do. He was really grateful, without being aware of it, to Miss Marchbanks when once again she came to his aid. "'Please leave her a little,' said Lucilla, "'and I can make acquaintance with her, you know, in case Papa should be disposed to think of it. She must lie still a little till it quite wears off. I would ask you to stay to lunch if I was not afraid of wasting your precious time.' Mr. Burry gave a little gasp of indignation, but he did not say anything. On the whole, even though smarting under the indignity of being asked to lunch, as his sister had been, when probably there might be a repetition of the scene of yesterday, he was glad to get safely out of the house, even at the risk of abandoning his enterprise. As for a woman in want of a situation, who had so little common sense as to faint at such a critical moment, the rector was disposed to wash his hands of her, for Mr. Burry, like them all, as Lucilla said, was horribly frightened by a faint when he saw one, and afterwards pretended to disbelieve in it, and called it one of the things which a little self-command could always prevent. When he was gone, Miss Marchbanks felt the full importance of her victory, and then, though she had not hesitated to sacrifice this poor woman when it was necessary to have a victim, that moment was over, and she had no pleasure in being cruel. On the contrary, she went and sat by her patient, and talked, and was very kind to her. She made her lie still, and tell her story at leisure, and all about it. "'I knew it would hurt your feelings,' Miss Marchbanks said candidly, "'but I could not do anything else, and you know it was Mr. Burry's fault. But I am sure, if I can be of any use to you—' It was thus that Lucilla added, without knowing it, another complication to her fortunes. But then, to be sure, clear-sighted as she was— she could not see into the future, nor know what was to come of it. She told the doctor in the evening with the greatest faithfulness, and described how Mr. Burry looked, and that she had said she did not think papa would be disposed to think of it, and Dr. Marchbanks was so much entertained that he came upstairs to hear the end, and took a cup of tea. It was the third night in succession that the doctor had taken this step, though it was against his principles, and thus it will be seen that good came out of evil in a beautifully distinct and appropriate way. But, notwithstanding, Miss Marchbanks, though she had escaped immediate danger, still felt in her heart the consequences of having made a failure at the beginning of her career. End of chapter 8 Recorded by Michelle Crandall, Fremont, California March 2009